Winter was here, but we're just getting started here on our Game of Thrones rewatch of A Golden Crown, episode six of season one. And now here are the two guys who just got back from the Dothraki all-you-can-eat horse heart buffet. I'm Rob Sister, and here's Josh Wiggler. Josh, how are you? Uh, are you Mord, full? Mord. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm stuffed to the gills with icky, icky horse heart. No more, please. I have had my fill. Uh, man, remember when we were talking about, like, would you eat horse uh, just a few episodes back? And here we have gone and we've done it. And I have regrets. I think it comes down to how the horse is prepared. Yeah, this is like not you can't even really call this like horse sashimi. This is no. just a straight up raw heart. The body part. Yeah, not it's great. Just, yeah, raw, raw body part is not the way you want to go here. Uh, but we have done, we have, we have done it. Uh, in, in reality, uh, I believe Amelia Clark, who plays Daenerys Targaryen, has said that that was like a gigantic gummy bear kind of deal. Oh, but then well, now like, I'm back in. But that it like tasted like just like pure cornstarch. So like, can you imagine like when you have like that really like sugary candy that just like makes your throat hurt a little bit? Mm-hmm. Imagine that taste combined with that gigantic horse that heart that I do believe like she ate that entire thing in the take. That must have been the worst day of filming of her entire <laughs> life. I can't imagine that there was a worse day than that. I got to feel like that uh, she might have had a worse day or two along the way. But maybe, maybe. Yeah. And that's not to spoil anything. I just no. think that that just sounds remarkably gross. I think yeah. that just sounds awful. All right. So here we are on our Game of Thrones rewatch. Here we are now officially into the back half of season one. And this is a huge episode. Lots of big stuff happening in this episode. We have a trial by combat. We have a wrap on Viserys. And we have really our uh first classic game of thrones like episode ending in terms of like a character death you know not to spoil what's to come but this will be a signature of the show no i think that that's absolutely something that's totally fair to set up because i think that that's what the viserys targaryen death does establish that this is a character who's like a really pivotal character in these first six episodes and suddenly you know six episodes into a show that is uh you know going to cap out at i think 72 or 73 episodes total like suddenly this main character is just done he's just removed from the playing field um and that is kind of a hallmark of game of thrones in that this is a show that is unafraid to kill off major characters uh and you're getting a taste of that here with viserys and i think that's the real tone setter uh so yeah it's it's sad to lose harry lloyd from the cast even if viserys was such a punk he plays that character so well um and a a big joy of this rewatch for me so far has been to like look back at some of the characters that may or may not be with us anymore and Viserys being one uh, and to like revisit that character and to spend some time with this mad Targaryen uh, was a lot of fun and I've always had fondness for the way that he goes out and in the rewatch did not disappoint that final scene of a golden crown is uh, is really legendary in Game of Thrones lore still uh, and it, it holds up tremendously. All right. And if you've missed any of our Game of Thrones rewatch to this point, you can subscribe to our podcast feed at postshowrecaps.com slash G-O-T iTunes. We'll be back every Tuesday with another rewatch of Game of Thrones all the way up to when we get to season eight. And we'll probably have to do some other stuff in between uh, because season eight is so far away, Josh. 
We we will. I do think. I think we're going to finish the rewatch before we might have to do the rewatch twice. <laughs> we'll just go back to season one. Yeah, I don't know. We'll make it up. We'll we'll do some book podcasts or something. We'll find something to talk about. I'm sure somewhere along the way. Okay, so Josh, a lot of stuff going on. Okay, I guess our top story at this hour: uh, the death of Viserys. Uh, we see him really on tilt the entire episode. He's trying to steal the eggs. He wants out. He feels like that this was a bad deal he ended up making with uh, Carl Drogo that he doesn't feel like that they're ever going to be taking him to become the rightful king on the Iron Throne and he basically just wants to cut his losses and get out and what was his plan he's going to steal these really bad eggs he's going to take these three dragon eggs and he is going to sell them for a ship one ship did he say multiple ships I, I didn't get the exact count on the ships but he's going to buy an army the size of which he can use <laughs> to take back Westeros with just three eggs like I feel like this is a bad plan yeah I don't know exactly what his conversion ratio was but his equation was in like one egg gets me a ship two eggs gets me a ship and an army three eggs so I, I don't know again who is paying that just for these eggs but uh, okay sure i guess i guess i mean look we should not be really holding viserys to the high standards of some of the great military he's off his rocker he's off his rocker he is as you said on tilt full tilt even uh which drives him to an early grave drives him to a great confrontation with jorah mormont uh loyalty means everything to jorah mormont but yet here he stands which tells you everything about who jorah is truly loyal to in the targaryen family here uh so that that's a great moment but yeah viserys this has been you know a long time coming uh certainly within the series but i think even outside of the scope of the events that we've seen Viserys has been dreaming about taking back the Iron Throne his entire life and he's been waiting uh, I don't even want to say patiently because he's showing a, a severe lack of patience in his final moments here but he has been waiting a very long time for this moment and it has not yet arrived and he's now seeing just how much the Dothraki love his sister uh, and I think that he's starting to get the feeling that like this is just not going to work and I need to do this thing on my own and i need to get this thing back and you like you kind of feel for him on one level i think of like man uh this guy is just so pathetic like it's it's kind of just tough to watch how pathetic he is but then you remember like all the abuse he leveled at daenerys and just like verbally and physically like yeah he is he is an awful awful person um and it's a really strong moment for daenerys this is you know as far as i'm concerned up to this point this is daenerys targaryen's breakout hour she's eating the horse heart she has the stallion that will mount the world growing inside of her she is much loved within this new community she is speaking dothraki very well uh, not that we know because like you and i don't speak dothraki like she could be butchering it but the subtitles make it seem like she's speaking in coherent sense she seems to have a command of the language she's able to like touch boiling hot dragon eggs and like walk away totally cool so like that's kind of awesome and maybe worth taking note of um and on top of that when viserys does walk in drunkenly with his sword in the middle of vias 
Doth Rock, which is a big no-no and not the Marcasian kind. No. Uh, she is really resolute in what's about to happen to him. Uh, you know, she has tried to like find like the loopholes with which to, to work in where she, her brother doesn't have to just get like completely schooled by the Dothraki. Uh, but she had that moment where she said to him, like, the next time you raise a hand at me will be the moment you don't have hands anymore. And I mean, he still has hands attached to his body, but he's dead. So technically Viserys Targaryen doesn't have anything anymore. So I guess she lived up to her end of the bargain. Uh, so yeah, big breakout episode for Daenerys Targaryen, who is just like showing her extreme uh, it- internal strength and her and her determined personality here. So a uh, really great episode for both Targaryens, one who leaves and one who just grows stronger. Viserys has a really great line also in talking with Jorah. He asks, who can rule without wealth or fear or love? He's very upset that Daenerys appears to be just a darling of the Dothraki. And that's really where her base of power is going to begin, that she's just loved by the Dothraki people. But for Viserys, he has no money. Nobody's afraid of him and nobody loves him. Very hard to get anything going when you don't have even one of the three. Yeah, yeah, you need at least one. Like one is is critical and probably still not enough. Maybe you need like uh two of the three and then I think that you can handle it. Uh Viserys has uh he's you know, he's striking out here, Rob. Yeah. No, and I think that that equation of wealth, fear or love I think uh holds true even in our world today. You could have no money, but if you have a lot of Twitter followers, that's something or you could have no money and nobody loves you but everybody's afraid of you, that's something. Or you could have money and nobody loves you and nobody fears you, but that that'll help you, but you need one. You need one yeah, we, to get in the game. We need to figure out what that exact formula is. There's got to be other components aside from wealth, fear, and love. But I do feel like uh, some some combination of those three will probably get you somewhere. Maybe not somewhere desirable, mm-hmm. uh, but it'll, it'll get you somewhere for sure. Yeah. I just uh, think it's an anyway, interesting equation uh, to track for the characters that have power in Game of Thrones of, you know, which of these three checkboxes do they have? Does anybody have two? And, wow. Yeah. Is, is this going to be Viserys? Viserys' legacy, the Viserys equation? Yeah, wealth, fear, and love. All right, well, let's try and remember the Viserys equation, and we will try to uh, apply that to other powerful people as we move forward in Game of Thrones. So we will pour one out for Viserys Targaryen (laughs) right now, uh, preferably not on somebody's head, uh, but but RIP, or, you know, just just rest. Doesn't have to be in peace. So, Josh, then we had our trial by combat where we got to see Braun end up taking on one of the Knights of the Vale. And we saw Braun winning the freedom for Tyrion Lannister. This was not how Cat Stark drew this up. No. And, you know, this is a little bit of world building as well. This episode does a lot of great world building, you know, from Tyrion kind of, um, you know, talking about the reputation of the Lannisters. Uh, have you heard the phrase rich as a Lannister? Apparently a very popular phrase in the Seven Kingdoms, so much so that even Mord has heard this before. Uh, and a Lannister always pays his debts. So you're starting to get a little bit of the culture of the Lannisters and their position in Westeros. Uh, but beyond that, you're also hearing about trial by combat, 
really for the first time, which is one possible way to settle these major disputes. You can go through like the, the true like trial system and you can, you know, get judged by, you know, a jury and, you know, however that shakes out. Or you can roll the dice and let the gods decide your fate. Uh, and that will be by either fighting for yourself or selecting a champion to fight in your stead against another party uh, of the of the prosecution, I suppose. Uh, and you fight it out to the death and whoever wins that fight wins the case. So Tyrion very wisely implements that strategy because his brother Jamie is well known throughout the Seven Kingdoms as one of, if not the greatest swordsman in the land. And in requesting his brother, he feels like he's got a great shot. Of course, Lysa Aaron is saying, no, we're doing this today. Uh, so Jamie's not going to get here in the next hour, I don't think. Um, but Bronn steps up. Bronn the sellsword. Uh, seems like he's willing to, to take a shot on the imp. Yeah. Do you think that Tyrion really botched this plan? Or do you think that maybe he had his eyes on Bronn this whole time? Because Tyrion seems like he has a stroke of genius where he tells Mord to go ahead and tell Lysa that he wants to confess. He, you know, has this very crazy story that he tells, requests trial by combat, and then seems like he has like the master stroke of, I request Jamie Lannister. Well, it will take a very long time for Jamie Lannister to get here and Tyrion is like okay well I've bought myself a lot of time but then Lysa comes back and says no it has to be today and then Tyrion is like grasping for straws in terms of is there a volunteer here gets very lucky that Bronn ends up being said volunteer but if he does not step up this plan really blows up in Tyrion's face yeah, but he doesn't really have another option. Like he can, you know, he can stay in the sky cells for as long as he's been out there and nearly roll off the side of the thing, which, by the way, up to this point, the least realistic thing on Game of Thrones, like you're never going to like comfortably sleep so hard that you're rolling right up to the edge of the sky cell. At least for me, I would be huddled in the corner wide awake the entire time. No, I, I thought wanna... about this. Uh, I think that Tyrion <laughs> makes a very foolish move of sleeping at that sort of like uh you know parallel to the edge uh way i would be sleeping with my head towards the north wall of the sky yes. cell with my feet towards the bottom to really prevent the rolling yeah perpendicular is the way to go in the sky cells for all of you future sky cell inhabitants i think that that is the move you just kind of want to t-bone the sky cell yeah uh but yeah i think for for Tyrion, what choice does he have uh and you know he he could request jamie and you know hope that it's act like his request will actually go through maybe he's keeping in mind that Bronn is there and we have already seen in um in the most recent episode up until this uh that Bronn and Tyrion were kind of starting to hit it off where Bronn would have some jokes and Tyrion seemed to be receptive to them and vice versa. So maybe he feels like if Mord is smart enough to accept uh, a bag of gold to fulfill his request and that's freaking Mord, that Bronn would be sharp enough to pick up what Tyrion is putting down. And when Tyrion, you know, rolls into the inn two episodes ago and he buys a room off of Bronn, you know, there's already that backstory of Bronn's a clever man. Um, so I think that, you know, at maybe Maybe that's his back pocket idea, or maybe he's just kind of desperate in this moment. But very luckily for Tyrion Lannister, it works out. And, uh, you know, as as uh, unlikely as maybe it would seem, both Catelyn Stark and Lysa Aaron and everybody else in the Airy 
and the Vale are just like dropping, you know, the charges against Tyrion because mm-hmm. he won the trial by combat. So the dude gets to walk out the front door. Thankfully, not the moon door. Right. And you wonder why there wasn't like a little bit more of like, okay, well, I know that that's the law of the land, but maybe extenuating circumstances here. You would think so. You would think so. So much was put on the line here that uh, I, I feel like Catelyn should have like really been like, let's just wait a second here. Like, yeah, sure. Like Servardis lost. And that's very upsetting, especially because Servardis really didn't want to do this to begin with. Uh, and what a way to go, that poor guy. Uh, but this is kind of like, you know, like maybe like full-scale war stakes that we're dealing with here maybe we just hang on to Tyrion anyway but uh different different time uh different place rob uh, honor is being employed here and uh maybe maybe against conventional logic and wisdom uh and strategy but honor is winning the day today okay and over in king's landing josh we see a lot of the fallout of the jamie versus ned battle that we got to see uh jamie lannister's actually nowhere to be seen in this episode he is uh gone on the run after his run-in with ned but the episode starts with ned waking up to king robert and cersei and cersei is uh really just ready to uh go all in on ned stark uh robert wants the starks and the lannisters to play nice he actually slaps cersei in uh this episode she says i will wear this as a badge of honor Speaking of honor, right? Yeah, and if you don't keep quiet about it, he'll honor her again. Uh, yeah, not not a great look for King Robert, who like flat out says right afterwards, like that was not very kingly of me. Try like not very humanly of you. Like that was just a bad thing to do. That's like a bad person thing to do. Let alone you know if you're a royal or not. Um, so yeah, bad look for King Robert. But Cersei's turned up. She's pissed. Uh, she is very upset with with Ned and all of the Starks for apprehending Tyrion uh, and Robert really wants all of this to end and not only that Robert has refused Ned's resignation as the hand of the king so the hand continues to wipe Rob Yes, that's right. Uh, we end up seeing King Robert go off on a hunting expedition. He likes to kill things to clear his head. We see a little bit of Robert doing that. But in the meantime, it is Ned's job to sit in as the king that he has the throne while Robert is gone. We end up seeing a scene where we get some reports of some problems in the Riverlands where somebody identifies identified as the mountain has been really just creating chaos in the homelands of Cat Stark, where after uh, Littlefinger is the person to sort of point out that sounds like the description of the mountain. Ned calls for the mountain to be stripped of his title, to be apprehended and sends out a party to go bring back the mountain and then also summons Tywin Lannister, father of Jaime and Cersei and Tyrion to the capital to meet with Ned. 
Yeah. Are you sure it's wise to yank the lion's tail? Uh, maybe not, but that is what Ned is doing. He is yanking the lion's tail here, and he is saying Sir Gregor must be brought to justice, and by justice I mean eliminated, executed, uh, and Tywin has to show his face within a fortnight, and if he doesn't, he will be considered a traitor and an enemy of the crown. Uh, that is, These are big stakes. I mean, we have not met Tywin Lannister at this point. Uh, but he is the patriarch of the Lannister family. He is Cersei, Jamie, and Tyrion's father. And we know that these people are very, very wealthy. And you have to imagine that a person who has uh, who is leading a family of that status has at least two of the three in the Viserys equation. Uh, so for Ned to, after having you know weathered this conversation with Robert, where he's like, "Everybody, bury your beef. Get over this. We wanna. We we cannot." have a you know a seven kingdoms that is torn into war through the Starks and the Lannisters coming at each other resolve this Ned is escalating instead so a curious tactic by the Lord of Winterfell and on a week where it looks like that Sansa and Joffrey have sort of buried the hatchet, everything going well there, Ned tells his girls that they are headed back to Winterfell. Arya is not happy about this either because she wants to continue her water dancing lessons. And Ned ends up, uh, after disappointing his girls, he ends up going back to the historical books that he has of all of the great houses and ends up reading some interesting passages which mark that all of the Baratheons seem to be born with black hair and every Lannister kid that was ever born seems to have gold of hair. Yeah, this is curious. And uh, credit to Sansa Stark for for tipping Ned off inadvertently when she is saying, but I want to stay here with Joffrey and be his wife and give him beautiful blonde babies. And Ned's like, oh, whoa, wait, I've been reading that book with the with the stuff about the hair and all that stuff. And I should probably consult that. And yeah, every Baratheon has super black hair. Every Lannister has golden hair. Joffrey Baratheon has golden hair. We know that at least uh, at least Cersei, Joffrey's mother, uh, has been known to the audience at the very least to fornicate with her own brother. Um, kind of feels like this case is breaking wide open, Rob. Yeah. So Ned is on top of this and we will see what he will do with that information moving forward. Uh, some trouble back at Winterfell that we have uh, some wildlings coming through and uh, almost getting a hold of Bran Stark, uh, if not for the crossbow work of Theon Greyjoy. Theon Greyjoy, great shot, that guy. Glad I called that guy. Yeah. And Rob wasn't thrilled with uh, Theon, but he had to do what he did. And then Theon, uh, very disappointed to have uh, Roz, the prostitute, uh, be going off to the big city. The true crisis in the north, the departure of Roz, is, uh, is going to be very bad for business in, uh, in the areas surrounding Winterfell. Okay. All right. Josh, with that in mind, are you ready to move into the spoiler section? Yes, let's get into the spoilers section. If you have not watched past this episode, and really if you have not watched through seven seasons of Game of Thrones, this is your last chance to turn around. We're going to talk about everything in full context now. All right, spoilers, spoilers. Okay, here we go, Josh. All right, this is the time where we get to reveal that Varys the Spider and Servardus 
are indeed the same person. Okay. They are the same Whoa. guy. And Servardus is a time traveling version of Varus that has worked out, has trained under the greatest of knights in Westeros, got employed in the Vale, and was planning some sort of long con time travel save the world plan, which is why he was so reluctant to participate in the trial by combat. And then he got killed, and that was how Varys the Spider died. So it was all for nothing. That's the end of Game of Thrones. Damn. Damn. Yeah. Anyway, that's not true. Just again, more filibuster for you to get out of here. Okay, get out of here. Okay. All right, you're done. So, Josh, uh, this is an interesting episode to me. And, and again, I feel like that a lot of the major plot points, uh, like, all hold up. I mean, this is a, a really fun episode. Uh, we got to see uh, fake Beric Dondarian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, like, wow, you look different. Mm-hmm. Uh <laughs> Something has changed. It's really funny, actually, that both uh, Barrack and the Mountain both change actors. The Mountain changes actors twice. Uh, what happened when those two characters collided off screen? Did they just like did their like fists pound into each other and the the power was the so Lord, great of light. Lord of Light that th- their entire bodies just transformed? <laughs> but yeah, this is a different Barrack Dondarian than the Barrack Dondarian we know from season three and onward. In fact, yes, but this is really going to be the founding of the brotherhood without banners yeah this is how the brotherhood without banners uh get established ned sends them off to get the mountain to answer for his crimes which is truly on so many levels a tall order uh that cannot be fully fulfilled it's a hard mountain to climb indeed uh so we know that that's not going to be fully answered uh by the brotherhood but it is going to get them into the into the area of westeros where they are going to see so much decimation especially once the once the kingdom really gets ravaged by war that their priorities will shift and they will want to help out the small folk and especially after what's going to happen to ned i think that they're going to feel a little freer to do that so yeah brotherhood without banners origin story uh has has commenced okay then josh i wanted to ask you something about sirio pharrell in this episode uh we get to see him with aria and aria is troubled as she is getting ready for her water dancing lesson sirio tells her to forget about her troubles trouble is the perfect time for training because uh the fighting when you're when you're fighting you often have trouble so you can't let the trouble distract you but he said something to aria which maybe i thought could add some fuel to the sirio is jake and hagar fire oh god okay let's do it let's go down that rabbit hole okay let's just talk about this real quick uh here's what Sirio pharrell says about the only true god do you pray to the gods the old and the new there is only one god and his name is death now okay now that we've uh, poo-pooed this theory in the past, I do think it's very interesting that uh, Jack and Hagar and also Sarah Farrell both talk about the same idea of the only God being this many-faced God, the God of death. 
Yeah, I think, I mean, if you want to connect that in that way, I think you certainly can. Um, I choose not to. Uh, I think, you know, Serial Pharrell is of Bravos as well, you know, and Jagan Hagar is based in Bravos. And I don't think it's such a stretch to imagine that Serial has brushed up against the House of Black and White before, or if the, if the God being death, if that is a, a more common belief system in Bravos, perhaps I haven't brushed up on my Bravo, my Bravosi culture, uh, my religious studies in bravos recently um but i i don't think that that is such a leap that that is where that idea is coming from that being said i did feel like this was kind of an interesting scene in light of some things that we have seen in as recently as season seven of game of thrones um you know we've been talking a little bit recently about like Who's going to die at the end of this thing? Like, who are the main characters that we could still reasonably lose by the end of Game of Thrones? Like the main, main people, um, you know, what could really shock us? What could really break our hearts? And we've talked a lot about and credit to Stephen Fishback, I think, in terms of us as podcasters on the Game of Thrones beat here on Post Show Recaps uh, as the guy who really championed that idea. But I think Arya Stark being the still surviving Stark to be the one who gets taken off of the board um i i'm starting to see it more and more just because i feel like where does Arya ultimately go what is her future like is the nymeria thing supposed to represent that there's really no such thing as going home for someone like Arya after everything that she has been through and seen and endured uh and if you're looking at it through that lens uh and you also bear in mind and we encountered this line in i think it was last week's episode the whole that's not me uh that that line that Arya says to her father gets echoed later on in season seven when Arya says to nymeria that's not you as the dire wolf runs away from her clearly has a long memory of quotes from her childhood and what do we say to the god of death what do we say to death uh there's only one thing and this is going to be serio pharrell's final words i believe as well in just a, a little while from now not today could that eventually be a line that comes back in the future of Game of Thrones? If Arya Stark does die at some point in the future of this show with six episodes left to go, would you take the odds that her final words would be not today? Hmm. But if she's dying, would that not be that she's dying today? So maybe she just says today. today. Yeah, I guess today. I guess today. I don't know. I'm not 100% sold on Arya dying. I'm still holding out hope that I think that Arya and Gendry end up together. I think it would be, I mean, look, that would be nice. I think it would be really cool as well if there is like some final moment and there's some final battle and Arya is now playing the role of Sirio Pharrell, not literally, uh, and is protecting like Sansa or protecting somebody else and telling uh, this person that she's protecting to like go run for safety and Arya is about to charge into like overwhelming odds and Sansa or whoever is like, no, Arya, you can't go. And Arya is like, well... 
what do you say to death? Mm-hmm. Not today. And then she charges off towards some sort of enigmatic fate, I feel like would be would be a really cool callback. So I don't know. I'm planting my flag right here. I think we're going to see a scene in the future of Game of Thrones at the very least where Arya has a badass moment uh, where she says not today, calling the words of her first warrior mentor. And maybe she dies. Maybe she doesn't. But I think that that's a line that we're going to get a callback to from Arya. To me, Arya and Gendry back together, I just feel like that there's something there as Gendry being the, you know, living kin of Robert. And Arya is the person that always gets the Lyanna Stark comparison. Like, could there be some version of Robert and Lyanna that ends up getting together that does not end up going off with Rhaegar? Like, could that Baratheon Stark marriage happen eventually? It would be nice. That would be nice. I mean, it's it's awkward for the actors uh, <laughs> in like a really kind of profound way uh, where Joe Dempsey is, I, I believe, if he's not on the other side of 30, he's at least close to it. And he had so many scenes with Macy Williams when Macy Williams was a teenager. I think that he has said to how old is Macy me, now, though, he has said to me in interviews like it's just hard for him to wrap his head around that even as an idea. So I don't know. I, I, I like that as like an ultimate destination for the two characters but maybe something that's more yeah, well, like when joe dempsey becomes showrunner i'll worry about what he thinks about it you know i think it's something that's that's better like as like a, a hinted at thing like strongly suggested that that could be the future that we're driving towards i don't think that we need to see the sparks flying or the starks flying uh hey, through the blacksmiths have sparks <laughs> flying all over the place it's true all the time that's really that's their that's their day to day okay Josh, I want to talk about the murder plot of King Robert, and this is something that's always been murky for me. We end up seeing this hunting party that Robert is with. We have Robert, we have Lancel, we have Renly, we have Sir Barristan. Okay, who's in on the plot? Just Lancel? I think it's just Lancel, yeah. Renly's uninvolved. Uh, Barristan certainly would never dishonor himself in this way. Uh, so Lancel's the only one who's involved, but he is, uh, he's feeding Robert, uh, this poisoned drink that's gonna, you know, make him very weary and it's going to make him really unsturdy when he faces down the boar. Uh, so it's very, it's a very elegant poison plot. Okay. So they're just trying to, get Robert basically like they're almost like roofing him as he's out there because if he did not get gored by the boar I mean is he drinking something that would have killed him I don't know. Uh, I don't know if the, if the plan is just like to poison him all the way down to the ground uh, or if it's to just like get him so uh, so weak and, you know, um, cloudy headed that he is going to get killed in the midst of the hunt. Um, certainly works out that way. Uh, but yeah, roofing Robert to death. I don't know. That feels like an appropriate ending for this guy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I feel like that sounds like justice to me for a guy who made the eight probably a few times. Right. Uh, so yeah. this idea of making the eight, uh, Robert <laughs> describes this as when you are able to get with one woman from each of the seven kingdoms and also the Riverlands. Uh, <laughs> that's called making the eight. Josh, can we think of any other Game of Thrones characters potentially who might have also <laughs> made, joined made Robert in making the eight? I feel like Tyrion's Has Tyrion made the eight. I feel like Tyrion may have made the eight. What about Bronn? Has uh, Bronn made Bron- the eight? 
Braun seems like a, de- a decent candidate to have, to have made the eight. Um, in her own way, you know, Roz may may have uh, made the eight. Sure. It's not impossible. Sure. Um, uh, Littlefinger probably well, likely probably made likely the eight. candidate to have made the eight. He bought his way into making the eight, though. Probably Tyrion did the exact same yeah. thing. I don't know. We could be here for a while. That feels like it's its own inadvisable uh, spinoff podcast. Uh, not something that I feel like we probably need to go not too probably far not. down that. Uh, I know we that, can get into that, a couple that. of the Greyjoys also who have also. Oh uh, sure, you're on you're on Greyjoy. He's made the eight for sure. Sure, definitely. Sure. It doesn't no really come up. It. You know, we don't hear anybody. <laughs> else is talking about making the eight along the way yeah it got forgotten forgotten in the in the sands of time the sand snakes of time yeah um anything else from this scene because i'd love to talk about another scene set in the woods if you're if you're ready to go north quickly um so i think that the scene in the woods outside of winterfell where we're gonna encounter osha the wildling for the first time who i've always held a grudge against uh because i really like natalia tenna i think she's a great actress and of course i love her as tonks and harry potter and all that that's fine but just the fact that Osha became more prominent on the show on Game of Thrones and kind of became a breakout character in the early going of Game of Thrones is the reason why they named Yara Greyjoy Yara Greyjoy on the show when in the books her name is Asha Greyjoy but Asha and Osha were like Uma and Oprah just mm-hmm. too similar you, you can't you can't have them both so they had to change a name and that's always been just like a pet peeve of mine i've just always been annoyed about that that's neither here nor there but the Greyjoy stuff is actually something i would like to talk about because as of the season seven finale we have this really powerful moment uh at least for for me as somebody who does love the theon Greyjoy character arc uh where he has that scene with Jon snow where Jon snow really gives theon some tough love uh gives him like some really kind of strong words of support where he says like you're a stark and you're a Greyjoy." and in this scene rob stark is really going to give Theon the business. He's not only going to be ungrateful for Theon saving Bran's life, uh, but he's also going to tell Theon that, well, you're not a Stark. You're not of this house, so this isn't your business. Uh, And I just think that that's kind of an interesting contrast where Theon and Jon never really had a lot of love lost between each other. Both Jon and Theon had a lot of love for Rob, and Rob was the guy who was kind of a jerk to Theon here, and it's it's going to be Jon who was the jerk to Theon when they were kids together who's going to be like the real brother in that moment so I just think that that all really ties together in kind of this elegant way that maybe you don't appreciate at the time of the season seven finale if this scene isn't as fresh in your mind Uh, so I really liked that I loved revisiting this this was cool yeah I mean Rob was really super ungrateful where Theon ended up saving uh, Bran's life in that spot and then Rob was like uh no, oh, that that wasn't your call to make. Like, uh, what were you thinking? You could have killed him. The other thing, too, is like it's very easy to forget that Theon Greyjoy is like a killer shot. That dude was great with a bow and arrow. Uh, and one of the things that in in the books, George R. R. Martin really seems to enjoy doing, or at least is a is a theme that he has built across the story, is taking away the thing that matters the most to people and uh, and and seeing what th- those people can do with what they're left with. So like with Bran, Bran in his um, in the chapter in which he's pushed out of the window window. By 
by Jamie Lannister. Like that chapter is so so brutal in retrospect because for much of the of the of the chapter, Brand is like, oh man, I love climbing. Climbing is my favorite activity. There is just about nothing more in the world I like more than climbing. Ah! And then he's never going to be able to climb again. Uh, or Jamie Lannister, who is you know this famous swordsman who says in the second episode of Game of Thrones, like if I were ever to be you know crippled, just put me out of my misery. And he's this incredible swordsman, and he is going to lose his sword fighting hand. And what is that guy left with? And that same idea is applied to Theon in the book, um, where of course he is dismembered. Uh, he is you know he's castrated, and that is a big part of who Theon is, both physically. Uh, literally, and also just in terms of what he, um, you know, what he fancies himself doing, but he's also this incredible shot with a bow and arrow, and they did not remove his fingers on the show, uh, but in the book uh, he is no longer able to to do that because he's been so mutilated by Ramsay Bolton during his time in captivity with him. Um, so I wondered if that was something that they were planting here, because maybe they were going to go in that direction, but considering that Ram, uh, that Theon rather, considering that Theon does have, uh, you know, full control over both of his hands on the show makes you wonder like is this something especially as Theon is potentially like planning some sort of Rambo-esque mission to save Yara from Euron like could we see a return of the great archer Theon Greyjoy at some point in the future I certainly hope so yeah you make a good point I mean I do uh, recall and maybe I'm sort of like uh, getting things confused between uh, stuff from the from the books and then maybe also with uh, from um, Theon on the show, but I feel like that his fingers uh, are get pretty mutilated by um, Ramsay Snow during uh, the torture sequences. And I wonder, even though they don't come out and say, oh, you won't be able to shoot a bow and arrow. I wonder if that's part of the problem here. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe. Yeah, my memory of that stuff is is a little thin right now, uh, admittedly. So uh, we'll get there. We'll get there in a couple seasons. We'll find out for sure. Okay. Uh, I wanted to ask you about the trial by combat, which is really just a, a great scene. I wonder what, you know, Lysa Aaron ends up saying that Braun ends up uh, not fighting with honor. I mean, did Braun do a dirty trick here in this trial by combat? No, it's just that he, you know, well, yeah, I mean, I think that he's not fighting in like the traditional, you know, knightly way. Uh, you know, he doesn't have a shield. He's kind of just dancing around the room. He's exhausting uh, Servardus. You know, he's like very intentionally just tiring the guy out because he's wearing all this heavy armor and this big shield. So he's like being very tactical. Like, he's being very strategic in his fighting, but it's not it's just not like traditional style of of swordsmanship between two knights and then there is kind of you know like he's pushing like you know big like candles in front of him and like throwing obstacles in his way and like using the room as a weapon and there is one move where he just like straight up trips Servardus like he uh, he has like he just like sticks a foot out and trips the guy so like that's kind of lame uh, but it's also a cool, it's a cool move I felt I felt and I, I've always felt this way i mean not to like put Braun on a pedestal or expect any kind of behavior like but i've always felt bad for this knight i like he seemed like a decent guy mm-hmm. see like he, he was the only one in the room that didn't want to fight Tyrion because it wouldn't be fair and then he's like well look if he's got like some like actual champion like i will i will totally fight that guy like i'll fight jamie lannister like that seems like a pretty brave cool dude and like Braun just like really just like 
just like toasts the body. Like he just like, did he have to push him out the moon door? Like that just seems, that seems cruel. That seems mean. Yeah. But from a cleanup perspective, I mean, that guy's just bleeding <laughs> out everywhere. That was better. He's, just like he's saving Mord some yeah, work. Saved Mord some work. Uh, Mord is great. He's fantastic. I like his weapon. He has almost like a, like homie, the clown type uh, thing that it's not like a yeah. club. It's yeah. like almost like a, you know, uh, a sock filled with flour. That he's just beating Tyrion with. <laughs> yeah, Mord, Mord is great. I don't believe we ever see Mord again on the show. Uh, you do hear about him in the book when uh, when the action returns to the Vale through Sansa's storyline. Um, but we don't, we never got that on, on the show. What does he do? He buys something nice well, with all the gold? He tortures uh, a guy who gets uh, who becomes the patsy for killing Lysa Aaron. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when Sansa sees him, um, he has golden teeth. That's what he that's what he chose to do with the gold is basically get a golden grill and just, you know, go full flavor flavor. Yeah. Well, good for Mord. Yeah. Mord! He did something. Yeah. yeah good for Mord indeed. And Josh, one other thing about the Viserys storyline. So obviously we saw Viserys meet his untimely end here in this episode. We also got to see here in season seven what happened to the dragon which was his namesake Viserion do you think that maybe there is going to be some possible uh connective tissue to the way uh, Viserys met his demise and how Viserion could eventually be conquered Oh, meet his like actual demise. Um, well, so my active theory, and I'll reset it for people who, who don't remember in terms of like how the Night King is going to get taken down eventually is like, it's gotta be some combination of like Jon Snow and Bran Stark, uh, Bran's ability to warg. Uh, and we have, you know, we, we have that line that's gonna come up later in the show of you'll never walk again, but you will fly to Bran. And like that still feels to me like the, the flock of ravens that he's controlling that doesn't quite satisfy it for me i mean i guess ultimately if that's all we get like it's not like an unfulfilled promise but it feels like a weak uh, a weak fulfillment of the promise so i feel like the promise is out there that someday bran stark could warg into a dragon and i imagine the scenario in which bran hijacks Viserion from out from under the night king and maybe therefore is able to like ground the night king for single combat against john or something like that um could he could he like fly Viserion into like a volcano or like a molting vat of gold? <laughs> like, I mean, I guess we could we could see something like that. Pour it like, on his head. The, yeah, what's the scenario that you could see playing out where uh, where Viserion could meet uh, meet his final demise uh, in a way that is similar to how Viserys goes out here? Uh, I think the only thing that you could think of is there is some sort of like uh, pouring something out on top of his head. Is that the way that you end? up taking him out well um so this maybe the, maybe there's something here is so the dragons are are named drogon Rhaegal, and viserion obviously after call drogo after Rhaegar targaryen and after viserys targaryen uh call drogo is the guy who pours molting hot 
gold onto Viserys' head, thereby killing him, could Drogon just engulf Viserion in fire at some point? Like, is that something that we could see happen? Like, dragon battle outright, and Drogon just roasts Viserion alive. Yeah, it's interesting. And then the final line of the episode, I believe, Daenerys says that, you know, uh, that he was no dragon, fire cannot kill a dragon, so... It would be interesting to have that idea come back around for how uh, we end up seeing Viserion taken out. Also, uh, in the heart-eating scene, uh, we hear the name of the stallion who will mount the world for the first time. Uh, the baby is actually supposed to be named Rhaegal. Yeah, I think Rago maybe. Rago. Uh, yeah, okay. but I mean, definitely named after her brother and named after Jon Snow's father. So that's interesting. Um, we are kind of tracking the possibility that Jon and Daenerys could have a child together uh, at some point in the future. And could that be, you know, the third head of the dragon? Could that be the stallion who mounts the world, so to speak? Uh, could that baby, you know, come with the name Rhaegar even? Uh, I think could be really really cool um so definitely something to track on that front um i had one more thing from this episode that i thought was interesting so the the brand stark stuff right where he is having these visions with the three-eyed raven and the three-eyed raven seems to be like leading him through winterfell uh we get a little bit of a continuation of that here where the raven flies down into the crypts of winterfell will there be any payoff on that front at some point in the future the white walkers are in westeros as of the end of season seven uh winterfell is so close to the wall i have speculated that i feel like you you could really see the scenario where the white walkers hit winterfell as soon as the first episode and we've even theorized a little bit or at least we've spitballed we've played with the idea that could the night king uh a be a Stark, uh, and B could he like resurrect the bones of the of the old Starks that are down here in the crypt? Could this be like any kind of like warning sign from the Three Eyed Raven about this possible future, or just like some sort of early tease of a direction that the show is ultimately going in? Well, and again, this is the Three Eyed Raven leading Bran into the crypt, not necessarily the Night King. Do we know the identity of the Three-Eyed Raven? Is he a Stark potentially? Not in uh, not in the book. In the in the show, we don't really know what the what the what the story with the Three-Eyed Raven is. In the book, it's it's all but confirmed who the Three-Eyed Raven is, and he is a, a, a Targaryen bastard named Brendan Rivers, uh, not Brendan Fitzpatrick, uh, who who is a uh, Blood Raven is is uh, the nickname that he is best known for, um, and he is a Targaryen who had the sight. Uh, he was very feared during his time. He he, uh, he was the hand of the king for quite a while. He's eventually disgraced and sent to the Night's Watch, where he becomes Lord Commander, I believe, and then disappears. And um, it's it's heavily, 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 yeah, it really is. It's heavily implied that he is uh, the Three Eyed Raven, um, and there just hasn't been a lot of elaboration on that in the book quite yet. Uh, so excited to see where that goes. But he's a he's a he's a character that's pretty prominent in the Duncan Egg novellas. Mm. Um, so he's he's a really interesting figure in Westeros lore. But the show has not done anything with that. And I doubt it ever, ever will. Uh, so for the show's purposes, the three eyed raven could be whoever. But I doubt it's really going to matter. OK. All right. Josh, so this was a lot of fun to go through this. Uh, we are really rolling along now here in season one. 
Where did you put a golden crown in your episode rankings of Game of Thrones through six episodes? Yeah, I love this episode. It's my favorite of season one so far, I think. Uh, it's just like, it's like very viscerally satisfying. The trial by combat is so great. Like the world is really fleshing out even further at this point. We know these characters pretty well in this moment. So it's really fun to see some payoff to some of these storylines and like the decorate, like the, like the, practical declaration of war between the Starks and the Lannisters at this point the main uh, the main character death in the form of Viserys and just the way that he goes out is so freaking memorable and it really holds up uh, that this is this is my favorite one of the lot so far so this is the new number one new number one new number one yeah. new number one a golden crown so I believe that goes a golden crown winter is coming uh, cripples bastards and broken things the next would be, I believe I have the lion, the wolf and the lion is next, then the King's Road and then uh, Lord Snow or switch uh, the the wolf and the lion and uh, the King's Road, I believe. Right. Guys also say that Viserys had a really bad plan here. I mean, uh, I, I know he's it's drunk. Awful. It was awful. Did not really think this through. I, I get it. Okay, I'm going to go off with the eggs. Okay, that was solid. But then when he comes back in and then he's going to threaten Daenerys and then uh, basically he stands down and Danny translates like, oh, no, he said he's going to get you the crown. He's like, oh, okay, well. That, that was all I wanted. I mean, that was, uh, that you know, did not think this one through. He's a bad dude and he's an idiot. You know, he's a punk, he's pathetic, and he's an idiot. And you feel a little bit bad for him, uh, especially with that, like, howl of pain and just, like, the clear, like, sadness that this guy is expressing. And then you remember all of the horrible shit that he's done. You're like, nah, this dude deserves it. Screw this guy. Uh, so you're, you're pretty happy by the time that it, that it's over. Like, this guy, this guy got what was coming and, and then some. If anything, it's too fast. Okay. All right. Sorry. That was very like bloodlusty of me. I, I apologize. I'll rein it back for rain it in. Rain it in. Podcast. You had one taste of violence <laughs> and look at you now. <laughs> I can't I can't get it out. I ate the horse heart and now all I want is blood. Okay. All right. Uh Josh, what is coming up in episode seven? All right. Episode seven is a biggie. Yeah. Uh, we are we are going to lose King Robert. We are going to lose all ground for the Starks. Basically, war is really going to uh, be inevitable at the at the point where Ned Stark is going to get captured by the end of the episode. And that will be the last time Ned Stark is a free man uh, that will kick us off on the road towards Ned's eventual execution. Um, so it's a it's a it's a big episode. It's a hefty episode. A great scene coming up with Ned and Cersei mm -hmm. uh, with the iconic line. When you play the Game of Thrones, you win or you die. There is no middle ground. An iconic moment with Littlefinger that has a special, um, you know, a special amount of resonance now knowing how he ultimately goes out. Uh, yeah. Can't wait to talk about going to be a great episode to talk through. All right. And a lot more coming up here on post show recaps between Mr. Robot kicking off uh, this past week, Josh. Oh, my God. Mr. Robert is back. Yes. Oh, I'm so happy about that. Mr. Robot is back in epic fashion, I do believe, here in season three, which has already kicked off. Uh, Antonio Mazzaro and I are podcasting about that every week in collaboration with The Hollywood Reporter as well. So that's very exciting. Uh, so you can check out those podcasts, postshowrecaps.com slash MR Robot, iTunes, and all of the stuff that I'm going to be doing on the Mr. Robot front. 
at THR interviews with the actors, with Sam Esmail, with Cora Donna, one of the producers and writers who we'll be talking to weekly. THR.com slash MR Robot. Very pumped up about it. You know I'm big on the Mr. Robot, Rob, and I think this season so far, it's just tops. I'm very excited about it. Not to mention The Walking Dead proper being back very soon as well. So lots of stuff going on over on Post Show Recaps. Check out everything we're doing on PostShowRecaps.com. And again, for our Game of Thrones recaps, subscribe to this podcast, PostShowRecaps.com slash G-O-T iTunes. Follow Josh Wiggler on Twitter. He's at Round Howard. I'm at Rob Sisterino. Josh, anything else? Nothing else. That's it. Take care, everybody. We'll see you next Tuesday. Bye.